You're listening to Customer Perspective, an Ipsos podcast. This is Season 5, Episode 10. Welcome to our latest episode of Season 5 of Customer Perspective. So that's our Ipsos podcast series aimed at all of you who are concerned in some way with helping your organization deliver on its brand promise to customers. So I'm Hannah Wilson, Global Chief Experience Officer for our Ipsos Customer Experience and Channel Performance Business. And today I'm joined by Alison Chalters and Narelle Goldring, their Ipsos uh, global Head of Shopper and Omnichannel and Global Consultant, respectively. And they are co-authors of another brilliant Ipsos paper. So this is a recently published paper, Beyond Omnichannel to Convergent Commerce Ecosystems. And it's about integrating retail into consumers' everyday lives. Now, you might remember Alison was with us last season. So that was uh, episode five, I think, of uh, season four. And she spoke to us about Beyond Omnichannel Retail to Convergent Commerce. She spoke about how commerce channels digital in particular, are exploding uh, and how their uptake is, obviously, we know this, rapidly increasing. She quoted Ipsos research where we saw live stream shopping, for instance, that's been used by more than a third of adult consumers globally in the past six months. You know, So we know retail commerce is changing and with this plethora of new ways to buy things, as is consumer and shopper behaviour and their expectations of commerce experiences. And what I wanted to invite Alison and indeed Narell back, I guess to take the conversation to the next level, discussing how commerce and, and consumers, customers are shifting and what this new world beyond omnichannel, one of convergent commerce ecosystems, looks like and what it means for brands and retailers. They've written this amazing paper and they'll tell you about the paper that they've just published, as I say. But I'm going to start with well, with a welcome. It's always nice to welcome people, isn't it? Hello, both of you. Good to see you. Good to see you back. Great to see you. Thank you, Helen. Just before we start, actually, where are we? Because I'm just thinking on this one, we are doing pretty well in terms of global coverage. So I'm sitting here in London. Right, Alison, where are you? I am in Rhode Island in the US. Narelle, go on, where are you? Uh, an hour and a half south of Sydney on the coast in Australia. Pretty global podcast, isn't it? Oh, I like that. That's, that's, that's quite, a, quite an array. Right, I better, I better kick off, hadn't I, rather than talking about where we're sitting in the world. I'll be starting talking about the weather in a minute and become truly British. <laughs> I, Alison, I'm going to kick off with you. You started this conversation a few months back. Tell us about retail commerce. How's it changing? Give us a bit of a, you know, the background of all of this. What's going on? Well, first of all, thanks for having us. It's always a pleasure to be here, and it's rare that we have uh, folks from so many different parts of the world that are not really the big parts of the world. I think, Helen, you're the exception right now, sitting in the in the heart of a big city. I really want to actually invert the question, so I hope you don't mind that I'm not following the rules from the beginning. I never uh, expected you to, Alison. <laughs> so it's not the way I play. So I want to start with what's not changing. Because I think I think it's important that we still understand there's some fundamental elements of commerce that are perennial. First, shoppers still have needs. Some of those are really clearly articulated. I'm hungry. I need lunch. <laughs> and some of them are foggier. In the back of my mind, I'm trying to be healthier again now that summer's over. 
Second, manufacturers and retailers need to understand those needs. We can't just run to the latest, greatest new thing. We need to take a step back, work together, and understand those shopper needs. And, and lastly, together, manufacturers and retailers, and that could be product manufacturers or service providers, need to provide the right products at the right place at a reasonable price with impactful promotions at the right time. The right product, the right place, the right price, the right promotions at the right time. Simple fundamentals of retailing. Those still hold true and true, and if anything, more than ever. So now to what you asked. Well, technology is changing absolutely everything. Um, and I might have said that last time I was on, and it continues. Um, there are folks who said, well, the pandemic's over. Well, that's not true. And the technology and e-commerce changes are done, and we're going to live with status quo for a while. That's definitely not true. What's happened over the last five years is we went from living in a binary world of online versus offline, most of us working in multi-channel silos where some folks were studying physical commerce and others were studying digital commerce, and they rarely came together. That's still true in many, many companies, um, and we work with our clients to try to get them to, to end thinking like that and to try to think in a more omni-channel way. What Omnichannel has done is it's really linked online and offline channels. And thinking about seamless handoffs and the word frictionless experience is, is a very popular one around UCX folks. Um, but it's, it's something we're all really working to try to do, except, of course, when we find out that we get a little more engaged for, from a little friction, right? And so now where are we today? We've really entered the world of convergent commerce. You use those phrases in the setup. It's all over our white paper. What do we mean by that? It's, it's where commerce channels are exploding digitally and physically, and there's a blurring of lines between channels and touch points. So think about social commerce, voice commerce, live stream, DTC, quick commerce, AR, VR. The list goes on and on and on of all these new types of commerce and oh, by the way, we can't forget the store as a, as a piece of that mix. And so as, as we look at the acceleration of all these commerces, we have to start thinking very differently. We, we track what's happening with shopping around the world as part of our Ipsos Essentials trending. And, and you mentioned the number of, of 34% for live streaming worldwide. That's pretty much a number that's consistent with most of these emerging technology commerces worldwide. But in China, they're getting close to 90%. So 90% incidents of technologies that many of us have used very occasionally, uh, we need to start thinking differently. We need to start understanding that any single touch point can play multiple roles. A, a digital touch point could both build awareness and close the sale in a nanosecond. The store is catching up on that at the same time. So as touch points become shoppable, such as sticking a QR code pretty much anywhere, including all over my phone, um, or we're learning how to do impulse purchases online, right? Pop-ups in social media, pop-ups in store, watching live stream. So a very different way of thinking about, about shopping. And we have to, as marketers, get with the program and really start to operate in a very different way. My question to you, Norel, what does all of this mean for consumers, for, for customers? What does it mean for them? Consumers don't think in channels, if indeed they ever did. They certainly don't now. And 
I think in the olden days, people used to go shopping, right? I used to go shopping. Um, But now they don't have to go shopping anymore. They just simply do shopping because they can do it wherever they need to. They're simply buying and ordering things from wherever they need to at the time for delivery wherever it needs to go, right? Could be their house, the car, their locker, uh, their locker, their picnic spot, wherever it is. So the thing is, is that the, the whole thing around commerce and shopping, it's, it's no longer a place. It's a, it's a fluid set of activities. And, and so what this means is, is that consumer journeys are becoming less linear. You know, we all used to talk in research terms about the consumer journey and, and, and kind of thinking that this was like a linear pathway. Well, we're not really seeing that anymore. It, it's, it's really become a consumer ecosystem where they have default go-to brands and channels and, and touch points and retailers based on recommendations and what they've seen and what they know in their own experience and in a kind of cloud-like network diagram, if you like. And, and so, so this is their, like, go-to. And, and, and really what this means is, is that the game for brands and retailers and for all of us really is to become part of a consumer's commerce ecosystem. How do we actually become part of their go-tos or part of their defaults? I'll give you an example if you'll indulge me for a minute. Uh, (laughs) I would like um, an example to bring it to life. (laughs) One of my own. Um, I'll spare you some of the more gory details, but in the last six months I woke up at 1.30 in the morning to an uncontrollably beeping fridge that I had had for nearly 20 years. Okay, just to check, this was real beeping. This is not just in your mind, is it, Narelle? This is real beeping. No, no, no. no. It's one of those things like you wake up and you go, I hear beeping. It's like, no, no, no. So I went downstairs and, no, the fridge was beeping and it was effectively dead. So I was like, okay, this is 1.30 on a Saturday morning. What am I going to do? Right. And so I got online, as you do when you've gone downstairs at 1.30 on a Saturday morning wearing your dressing gown, and I got online to an appliances retailer that I knew from others had had amazing reviews and I'd heard about from friends and had 24-hour delivery because my fridge had effectively died, right? And I'd already knew the cavity size because one of the things with fridges is you have to know the space it's going into, and I knew what I wanted to spend. And so on their site, within five minutes, I found the fridge that I wanted and ordered it, and they delivered it. They delivered it within 24 hours. So, so here I am, 1.30 on a Saturday morning. So needless to say, any other appliances that I need in a hurry, I'm going to go back to those guys again, right? They're part of my ecosystem now. I trust them. I will go back to them again. Not only that, but I have recommended them to other people who might have similar needs. And, in fact, um, I had a friend recently who had a a not very good experience with another appliance retailer, and I said, I'll go to these guys because they can deliver you in 24 hours. So, so, so these, this appliance retailer, which is an online retailer, has become part of my retail ecosystem and any time that I need an appliance, whether it's in a hurry or not, I will probably go to them. So that's an example of kind of yeah, becoming a, a default. 
I mean, people who listen to this are obviously sort of experience is is what rules their life. But, you know, the reality is the point you make, it's that sounds so damn trite, doesn't it? But experience matters. And the reality is, as having delivered on your experience, then all the things that we look to do in terms of sort of deliver that return on the CX investment, having driven retention, they're going to keep you, driven share of spend, they're going to get you to spend more money, having driven advocacy, you told your friends about it, and they've done all of that in an operationally efficient fashion. But as you say, it becomes that that experience on which one has delivered on one's brand promise is now part of your ecosystem you're part of your go-to that i would add to that is is that what this means is that if you're becoming part of someone's ecosystem that is actually about the long game of the repeat sale right it's it's not just about getting the first sale not it's about about getting the repeat sale and and so what this means is is that by infiltrating i mean it makes it sound very like spies and stuff but by infiltrating someone's ecosystem it enables you to become their default go-to so that you get their repeat sale almost exclusively that's really what you're aiming to do and so the customer lifetime value is actually increasing in importance. So, Narelle, back to that point you made at the outset in terms of that increasing complexity of these journeys that our customers, that our consumers are going on. And Mm. points back to what Alison was saying at the outset in terms of that deep understanding. And we know when we're doing work with our clients, you know, the likes of of customer journey mapping, the likes of um, CX service experience design, you have to understand those complexities in order to be able to understand expectations, in order to be able to understand needs, to your point, in terms of how you can play that increasing part in their ecosystem. So, Building on that, Alison, I'm actually going to come back to you because we've sort of started touching on that conversations in terms of what do brands, what do retailers need to do, I guess, to align themselves to consumers' ecosystems. But but take us further down that route. Well, let's start really simply. We need to transcend the tech and go back to the basics and start with shopper needs. And it starts with the human being. Um, and so as we think about those needs and how do we best need, meet those needs, it's it's a broader assessment than the old world because we're looking at touch points and we're looking at channels and we're looking at a customer who is agnostic across all of them, right? That, that customer is not thinking in terms of, oh, what touch point do I want to use today or what channel is most important to me? They just care about getting what they need when they need it and and really enjoying the experience or at least having the experience be pain-free, right? And some of those things like buying a new fridge, it's it's really tough to have that be fun, but Narelle's mm-hmm. solution was quick, easy, painless, and, and that's what really matters in something like that. So to understand these needs, we have to also think differently about the methodologies we're using. Traditional ways of understanding shoppers are not enough anymore. Um, we have such a wide range of places, channels, and touch points that shoppers are. We need to think about a wide range of insights and data um, methodologies. So that statement can be absolutely overwhelming, right? It was a lot easier to say, I just want to go understand what people do in a store and then I want to find out what planogram works, right? Well, that's not the world we live in anymore. Um, But thankfully, technology can be our best friend here. 
Um, and, and there's lots of examples, and I can go on on this, as some of you know, for a very long time. But some of my, my personal favorites and the ones that I'm seeing as most impactful right now is really tapping the world of social and search analytics. So much of what we do, right? Narelle's example earlier on fridges, the first thing she did is search. And, she, and, and that's the first step in so many people's shopping experience for new products. In others on social, they're looking for their friends. So starting with a deep dive into social and search intelligence can provide a very insightful and affordable way to understand the macro shopper journey and what needs are particularly the unmet needs. Because people tend not to compliment online, but they tend to complain online, right? So, so we really need to understand both. This passive data tells us what happens. We then need to start to understand why. And so things like digital ethnographies can be married together and in a way that we couldn't do before we were the tech TikTok generation, right? Shoppers are super comfortable walking around a store, talking to a phone, telling us what they like and don't like about the experience. We also, of course, can track, the, track them on their phone doing the same thing digitally and interrupt them and talk to them and find out why they did what they did and really dig deep into the human side in, in a way that can be empathetic and, and get the nuance from these shoppers that really helps us understand what the big data says. We also, and I'm, I'm not dissing big data because I am a, a big data geek here, the biggest challenge we've had with big data over the last decade is there's too much data and not enough answers coming from it. So thanks to an evolution of artificial intelligence, we can start to integrate models and what people say and what they do and predict behavior in, in an increasingly automated way. We are not there yet as an industry. I want to push a button and have all the data come together and somebody tells me what to do. Um, that's nice, that's simple, but then you know, marketing teams would not be paid the big bucks that marketing teams are paid today. More tactically, and as we start to think about some of the insights on, so what do we do? Once we do the strategic assessment, we can really take a step back and use technology like, like our SimStore virtual tech platform to test different solutions for environments that could be in-store, product and pack, online, total experience, on app, or even in the metaverse, as we start to experiment experiment with this new space in a very fast, efficient, and private way. So there are so many different ways we can get data. It starts with taking a step back and thinking about what you want to learn. It's also really important to think beyond each individual tech, right? So we talked about all these separate commerces that are emerging but we can't just think about them as independent tech. We have to think about them as how they come together for, for a total, total experience um, and align our ecosystem with that. Um, Narelle, you had a bunch of other examples. You're the example queen. Um, you have a few examples of, of folks that are doing this in the industry that you think are terrific. So in terms of ecosystems, there's a, a number of ways to do this. So in terms of aligning your, your ecosystem with a, with a consumer's e ecosystem, if you like, the first and most obvious one is to extend your channels of operation. So, for instance, um, in grocery, um, we've seen guys like Amazon and Walmart and Del Hayes and Loblaws are extending into things like non-food marketplaces and pharmacy and financial services. So that's one way of doing it. Another way of doing it, and then uh, I'm going to give you three examples, but these, these are not the, the only ones. But anyway, the second one I'm going to give you is to expand product offerings in ways that are interconnected and particularly synergistic, 
right? So one on one plus equals three. And so the guys, some of the guys that do this really quite well are guys like Samsung and Apple who have product ecosystems that link their product sets ranging from phones and tablets and laptops through to watches and also they've gone into content including music and entertainment and and things that they stream from their own proprietary channels. Um, So they've got these entire entertainment ecosystems and information ecosystems that's content plus device. And then there's open and multiple service platforms and ecosystems. And so China's Alibaba and Tencent's WeChat are examples of that, right, where they've created entire ecosystems of services using their social media platforms and an extensive network of partnerships um, that range from retail to ordering just about anything you want. So, you know, uh, on WeChat, you can kind of order your movie tickets and you can sort out dinner and you can sort out your ride share, etc. all on the one platform, send it all to your mate and, and, and off you go. The point is that with all of these ecosystems that they need to be synergistic. They need to be mutually beneficial for both the organisation and the consumer. So it needs to be one-on-one equals three. The value is in the links between the products and the services and the synergies that create the greater convenience that, that perhaps no other brand or product can provide. And so, Helen, I think, in in your video that, that you so kindly did for us a month or so ago, this was where we were talking about this whole idea of a virtuous circle, yeah, where we talked about by gaining an insight into um, the consumer's needs and the more channels and products and services you can link together to provide an experience, the more you understand about the consumer's needs and then the more innovations you can do and it becomes this virtuous circle. So this then becomes this virtuous circle of customer outcome that enables kind of retention and share of spend and advocacy. And I'm going to stop there right now. Well, you know, those are those are great examples, Narelle. And as I listen, I think, gosh, the tech companies are so far ahead in this space, right? Because this is what they're built for. But when we think about our world of consumer goods, which so many of our listeners are in today, I think about the opportunity for them to learn from tech and telco and to bring that to beauty. I mean, we certainly know great brands like L'Oreal are working on bringing new technology and using VR and AR to try on different kinds of hair color, different kinds of cosmetics. And think about the day when they're able to really tie in the salon or tie in the fashion boutique so that I can try on my dress and my lipstick together in the same place and have my whole look together, just like your 10 cent example um, of, of planning the whole evening for me, right? So there's lots of different ways that that can, that can be done in beauty. I think about in food and tying together, trying something in a, in a restaurant or pub, you know, liquor, trying a beer in a pub and then bringing it home. And how can we as an industry get better and better at creating that ecosystem? So um, I think tech's inspired us, but the rest of us can all learn from it too. Absolutely. And I think, I think also that um, we've seen that in some other food categories, like KitKat, for instance, have really moved into the live stream space. I mean, KitKat have always been front foot forward with their boutiques and, and presenting confectionery as a premium experience. 
But KitKat have also moved into the live stream space and to use your beauty experience, Alison, uh, example, um, we've seen Sephora also move into live stream. So certainly live streaming is, is becoming a real forum for discovery and inspiration um, and, and not just for tech products but often for not just um, consumer durables but even for things like categories like confectionery, um, liquor, um, you know, fast-moving consumer goods categories. Um, the digital space is not just for the tech categories. It's for multiple sectors. I'm going to take you back to a point you made right at the beginning, Alison, which was around always ensuring that the human, the customer, is absolutely at the heart of it. And we've, we've kind of gone off on a, a bit of a tech angle, and that's absolutely important. We've talked about the power of tech. But let's come back to that central question. How do we keep the customer at the centre of this? So I guess so we don't just develop things for their own sake. Talk to me on that from. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's very easy to get enamoured by the latest tech toy. Right. Shiny things. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm looking around my own home and I'm thinking about how many different ways I can listen to music from the seat I'm in at this moment and thinking that I probably am overboard in the number of different speaker devices, including my phone. Right. When really the phone could probably do everything I need. So we, we need to take a step back and think about the tech as an enabler. The tech is a way to get to the consumer. The tech is not the end game. And, and I think that is very, very important. That said, consumers operate different as humans in different environments. I think differently when I'm in a high-end department store than when I'm in a discounter, than when I'm on Amazon, or and then or than when I'm in a very niche social media site that's very targeted to a specific need. So I am a different human in each of those in my shopping behavior. We really need to look at that intersection of different people, different texts and channels and touch points and understand how that flow goes across the journey. So it's not just the sequence of the journey. Did I hear it about on social media first? So then I went to search it on, do online search on Google. And then I went to go see what if they just sell it on Amazon. And then I decided to search review sites for what's the best boutique or local or organic brand or whatever it is that, that meets my need. So it's not just the linear, it's the interrelationship and how my heart and my soul and my mind are operating with each of those different technologies. And what I would add to that would be, in terms of the humanity, would be adding the sensorial, yeah? So, so, so trying to make things as sensorial as possible. Often digital can just be sight and sound, but it's like how can you make it sensorial through um, you know, virtually trying things on through through pinching and squeezing things through touch. How can you use the five senses? How can you make it personal? How can you how can you you know use more than one sense and 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 emphasize the human touch points would be the other thing, right? So um, people can, can get a bit sick of chatbots and web chat and stuff like that because ultimately they want to talk to a human one way or another, which is really the importance of call centres. And there's no accident that social commerce and live stream are some of the fastest growing emerging channels. Why? Because there's people involved. So, so it's really, it all comes back to where's the human 
at, at the center of this. And you mentioned call centers there, and you know that's why they are now contact centers, because actually they're not just about being on the phone, they're about behind all these various aspects of, of the ecosystem. So absolutely important. Look, do you know what, with you two, I could, I say this often, but we could keep this conversation going. For sure. We could, we could probably do like a two-hour interview, could we, or something like that? Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna draw you to a close because then it means that you'll come back and and you can just talk to me for around about half an hour or so. Um, so I'm going to ask you, of course, as we always do, final thoughts. You know, what are those messages that people who've listened to this? I'm sure they remember every word you've said, but let's just check. What are the messages you want them to go away with, Alison? Let, let me come to you. I would say oh. three quick things. Just do it. There's many paths to reinventing your ecosystem. Get started. Number two, de-average e-commerce. Think about each of these channels and touch points in a different way. And third, human first, tech second. So just do it. De-average and human first. That's, exactly. that's your, okay, that's punchy. I'm impressed, Alison. I'm impressed. Um, I will tell you, we've got a, um, I'm always one for a plug. We have a CX Global Voices webinar coming up on the 28th of this month. So that's September. And it might be that this goes out after this, but notwithstanding. So we spoke to, um, I don't know, 1,000 odd CX professionals. Goodness knows how many markets. I think it's odd, 60 odd markets. And anyway, so there's a whole bunch of stuff that we'll be covering off in terms of what they'll be uh, facing, what their challenges are, what their priorities are. But, you know, in terms of one of their biggest challenges that was emerging was this creation of the true, some of them talking omnichannel as opposed to convergent commerce terms, but the creation of that omnichannel journey that delivers. And everything you've spoken about, and you've cited some fantastic examples of leading brands that we're working with, but there are still so many organisations that have got a journey to go on. Um, and we're, we're certainly seeing that. And, and, and I would, on that point, point our, our listeners to, your, to the work that Ipsos has done that you two have written. So the paper we mentioned at the outset, now let me get this right, because it was quite a long title, but I am going to make sure we've got the link in it. But the title was Beyond Omnichannel to Convergent Commerce Ecosystems, makes sense. Um, integrating retail into consumers' everyday lives. But as well as going on and searching for that, I would point our listeners to, if you if you search on Ipsos and Omnichannel, there is an array of resources which are invaluable to help our listeners with the challenges that we know so many of them are facing. So I would say thank you, thank you, thank you for having us again. Thanks. You inspire us to think differently, Helen, and that really is a big deal. Um, in addition to searching Ipsos Omnichannel, Norelle and I are both available. You can reach us on uh, oh, LinkedIn fantastic. or through the Ipsos email system. We're happy to answer questions of listeners and really happy to hear challenges from listeners who think they want have better ideas than we do, because that's what makes us all better together. Right. So you've got to write to Alison Chalters. You've got to write to Narelle Goldring with ways in which you can do it better. Or you can write to me, which is Helen Wilson. We'd we, all three of us would love to hear from you. Exactly. We like a good we like a good battle. On that note, thank you so much. Been a pleasure. Take we'll care. see you soon. Bye. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Customer Perspective, an Ipsos podcast. New episodes will be made available every two weeks, so make sure to hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app to get the episodes sent straight to you. We're also available on Spotify. Spotify.